0: The following audio is from Grace City Church in San Diego, California. More information about Grace City Church is available at GraceCitySD.com. Therefore, while the promise of entering His rest still stands, let us fear, lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. For good news came to us just as to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. Again, he appoints a certain day, today, saying through David, so long ago, in the words already quoted, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then, there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Lord, we know ears to hear and eyes to see are from you. So we cry out for those this morning. Give us the eyes to see your truth, ears to understand. Make our hearts teachable, as Randall breaks that word of life for us today, that we would receive it with joy and we would take it fully into our hearts. And Lord, that our, when we hear your voice today, we would not harden our hearts, but we would be yielded to you for you to do in us that which you have ordained. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.
1: Thank you, Nancy. Hey, good morning, everyone. All right, well, last week um, I wasn't here, but I heard that Ryan did a great job, and I listened to the message. Thank you, brother, for the message you gave last week. Um very thankful for this church family. You know, I, I went back last week. My son was in a tournament in Georgia, but then also I spoke at the church that I worked at for eight and a half years. And it was great being back. It was great seeing friends and, and people that were there. But um, I miss my church family. And so Grace City is my church family, and I'm so thankful to be here. If this is your first time this morning, my name is Randall, and um, we're in this series right now called... Uh, The book of Hebrews and it's pretty simple we're just going through the book of Hebrews in the New Testament all summer long and uh, the reason is is because we started the year out in the book of Genesis and this is just a great segue to talk about how the gospel is in the book of Genesis um, it's in the book of Hebrews it's all throughout the Bible there is good news all throughout the scriptures and that good news points us back to Jesus time and time and time and time again. Um, and so we're looking at uh, this text from Hebrews 4, uh, 1 through 13, and it's on this idea of rest. Uh, the, the, the message today is entitled, The Rest of God. What, what is it that separates Christianity from every other religion in the world? There there are many things, but but when it comes down to it, there is a rest that God offers that nothing else can. In March 2007, Inc.com put out an article entitled Exactly How Much Sleep Mark Zuckerberg, Jack Dorsey, and Other Successful Business Leaders Get, and it was written by a guy named David Schools. And here's what he said. He says, the leaders like Apple CEO Tim Cook who wakes up at a ridiculous 3.45 every morning to get a head start on the 700 to 800 emails he receives a day, sleep gets in the way of staying on top of their mountainous responsibilities. While some billionaires are genetically fortunate to require only three to four hours of sleep, others force themselves to sleep less and others sleep the typical eight hours a night. Is sleep worth it? For people who run global businesses, should sleep be sacrificed for the sake of being productive? And he says Marissa Mayer, CEO of uh, Yahoo, is known to sleep four hours a night so that she can allegedly crank out a 130-hour work week. However, in 2014, she missed an important dinner with chief executives due to an overdue nap. After being awake for 20 hours, it's a good reminder that unnatural behavior has its consequences. I was uh, once asked the question, what is it that keeps you up at night? And you know, if I were to answer that question 10 years ago, I would have have had a very detailed list, right? The way that I'm wired, I I want to see progress. I want to see production. I want to see things happen. It's the way I'm naturally wired. But for me, as I've grown older, Something has changed in me. And what it is, at the end of the day, is my perspective on God. My perspective on God. See, many of us within our current culture are addicted to progress. And we try and excuse it. See, there are many who believe that sleep, rest are a hindrance to life. There's just too much to do. I can't rest. I can't sleep. And there is an epidemic in our society when it comes to sleep and rest. NPR recently reported that 60 million Americans struggle with sleep disorders. In 2015, UCSD, right down the street, received a $5 million grant for the study of sleep disorders and trying to find medicine for that. 35% of Americans report that their sleep quality is poor or only fair. 20% 20% of Americans reported that they did not wake up feeling refreshed on any of the past seven days. And for many of us as Christians, we might be able to say, well, I can relate to that. I can identify with it. That That's actually me. And so does the gospel, does, does the message of Christianity have anything to say about this epidemic that so many of us have adopted into our lives? Well, I believe it does, and and what we must do is start with this idea of God and what He views as our rest. Now, Psalm 127, verses 1 and 2 say this. They say, Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil. For, if he, gi- for he gives to his beloved sleep. C.J. Mahaney in his book on humility points out that God could have created you and me in a way where we didn't need sleep. We didn't need to rest. But instead he chose to create us within us that need. And there's a spiritual lesson in it. See, here's what it is. Sleep and rest is the constant reminder that we are not God. We're not God. So what does sleep and rest look like for you? Can you lay your head on the pillow at night and truly rest? And do you believe that God, if we were to listen about his Holy Day, the Sabbath set apart. Do you believe that God could accomplish more in six days than you can in seven? In Hebrews 4, we see that there is this invitation into God's rest. In verses 9 and 10, he says, So then, there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. See, this idea of Sabbath can be something that we kind of push to the side. But what this idea is, is it it means to set apart as holy. We see in the, the Ten Commandments that are given in Exodus 20 and Deuteronomy 5, in the fourth commandment, that God says this keep the Sabbath day holy. See, it is this constant reminder that as the people of God, we are not God. We're not God and so God invites us into his rest. Martin Luther once said he says the spiritual rest which God particularly intends in this commandment is this that we are not only that we not only cease from our labor and trade but much more that we let God alone work in us and that we do nothing of our own with all our powers. See there is a physical rest but also a deep spiritual rest that we all need and that God himself invites us into, that it's possible with God. And so let me ask, again, when you go to bed tonight, will you lay your head down and truly rest no matter what you face tomorrow morning? Tomorrow morning. See, as I mentioned, even tomorrow morning, the anxieties start to rise, right? And so that's the test of what we truly believe, isn't it? It's not just on a Sunday morning, but what do we face on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday? That's where our faith lies. And so our text again is Hebrews 4, 1 through 13. And just to give the setting of this letter, if you're just joining us, this letter is written to city-dwelling Jewish Christians who are under immense amounts of persecution for their faith. They were surrounded with different belief systems, so a very pluralistic society, much like ours today, which different beliefs. But what this was doing was it was pressuring these Christians to minimize their faith in Jesus, to minimize the way in which Jesus interacted in their everyday lives. But the author is continually pointing back to the fact that Jesus is greater than any idols of our culture, even the idol of progress. That only Jesus can heal the brokenness that lives within us in our sin. And so what does this text tell us about the rest of God? Well, we must start by asking three questions as we look at this text. The first one is this: where do we find rest? Where do we find rest? Number two, when do we rest? And number three, how do we rest? Where do we rest? When do we rest? And how do we rest? And so the first question is, where do we rest? And so you can find it in verses one and two. And so here's what it says. It says, therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear, lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. For good news came to us just as to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who Who listened. So, what we saw in chapter uh, 3 was that there was an invitation in in the Old Testament with with Moses for the people of God to rest in God. And this source of rest was that God was going to make a promise. He says this, that the promise of entering his rest still stands. So back then, there was a promise that God was going to call people to rest. Today, he says it still stands. It's still possible today to enter into God's rest. Now, what is this rest? Well, George Guthrie, who's an, a commentator, says this. He says, God's rest must be defined as a spiritual reality in which one ceases from one's own work, a spiritual reality in which one ceases from one's own work. So we're going to start deep. Here's what he's saying. Spiritually speaking, right now, we are either working or resting. See, some of us have come in here today and we are very frenzied inside. We are frantic inside. We're anxious right now. what he's saying is that God invites us spiritually into a rest, and we are either working or resting. Now, Buddha's last words were this, work hard to gain your own salvation. So spiritually speaking, Buddha is saying, okay, you need to work hard to gain your own salvation. Jesus' last words were, It is finished. Spiritually speaking, Jesus is saying, it's all done. You can rest. Two polar opposite ideas, spiritually, about our state. One is saying, work, 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 work. Work harder. One is saying, you can rest because it's all done. It's it's the difference between a checklist and a newspaper here's what i mean by that if you were to think about the gospel because that's what it says in verse 2 it says the good for good news came to us just as to them what is this good news gospel what is the good news is it more things that i have to do to earn my way to god to earn my own salvation Or is it a newspaper? I'm just reading it. It's something that's been done. It's within history. Spiritually speaking, all of us have to make a decision. Do we believe that I've got to do more, 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 or do I believe that it's already been done and finished? And so the author is writing here, he's saying this. For good news came to to us just as to them, But the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. Now, it can be something within my mind that I can say, okay, I believe that Jesus finished the work on the cross for me. He lived the perfect life, died for me on the cross, but not believe it in here. And so if I don't believe it in here, I'm going to be frenzied and frantic in my life continually working harder and harder and harder to earn something. Right, as one theologian says, there's a difference between earning and effort. Earning and effort. What we try to do a lot of the times is we try to earn something from God. How do you view your relationship with God? Right, how do you view your relationship with God over this past seven weeks? You say, how, how am I doing? Do you believe that your relationship with God is changed because of the way that you acted and things that you've done? Or do you believe that your relationship with God is consistent because of what Jesus has done for you? If you were to see the state of your soul right now, would it have bags under its eyes? But, and that, isn't that a funny image? Like, But would it? Because for some of us, it's true, it would. We would be tired. And hear. See, what is this telling us? You, you can hear the gospel but not believe the gospel. It's a warning. What does real f- faith look like? It, it's It's trust. It's trust. Again, George Guthrie says that the caution in verses uh, 1 through 2 pertains to those of the community whose response to the gospel parallels the faith-vacant response of those who fell in the desert when offered entrance into the land of Canaan. Their faith, their faith still remained in themselves, not in God. Do you get that? Their faith was in themselves. What am I doing, not what God has done? And what is God doing? We can only find spiritual rest in God. And so, where do we find rest? In what we can do or in what God has done and will continue to do? Second question: When do we rest? Okay, I get that, but when do I rest? Well, look at verses 3 through 8. It says, For we who have believed enter that rest. As he has said, As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Although his works were finished from the foundation of the world. For he has somewhere spoken on the seventh day in this way, And God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again in the passage, he said, They shall not enter my rest. Since therefore it remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly received the good news failed to enter because of disobedience. Again, he appoints a certain day. Today, saying through David so long afterward, in the words already quoted, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So, Why do we have this rest? Because even as I say, this is what the gospel is. This this is spiritually where we need to be. Some of us are doubting. We we think to ourselves, there's no way that I could live like that. There's no way that that's possible. But what this, this verse is telling us is that there's two parts. The first one is this, that there is a now element to how we can live in God's rest and what he's done. Do you see it? It says in verse three, for we who have believed enter the rest. We who believed. Now this is past tense. If you were to put your faith in Jesus, not yourself, but, but you place your faith in Jesus. Jesus has accomplished it. It's done. Ultimately, everything that matters most in the world is done in Christ. It says you can enter that rest. And then it says this, that verse 4, it says that God rested on the seventh day from all his works. Now this is an interesting thing because commentators have talked about this from Genesis 1 and 2. And here's, again, commentator Guthrie, he, he says this. Genesis 1 and 2, the first six days of creation have an end of, or evening. The seventh day, however, is an open-ended day which has no end. God's rest must be seen as a present reality. That's crazy, right? Like, what what he's saying is that it doesn't say in the seventh day that there was an end. And so God is saying, and he's inviting us into his rest, saying, it's possible for you right now on a Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, like that it's possible to rest in what God has done. Some of you say, I, I know I, I'm a Christian, but, but so, so why don't I feel like I'm in his rest? Last week there was, in verses 7a, it, the, the, it talked about the deceitfulness of sin, right? The deceitfulness of sin, verses 7 eight says, we can harden our hearts and not be obedient to God. See, see, one of the things when we, when we look at this is, is this, that I know that God's word doesn't return void. Promises that. But what type of soil is this landing on right now? Is this landing on soil that's saying, yep, yeah, that, nope, not possible. God can't do that. I get that, like I'm supposed to rest, but but you don't understand my life. Is that is that what this is? Because that's who he's speaking to. He's saying, okay, there were people back in the day of Moses who saw the works of God and said the same thing. And yet, historically, we know that Jesus Christ came, lived bodily, died for our sins, rose from the dead. Yet, we can look at that and say, well, yeah, I get that. That was 2,000 years ago, but that can't be in my present reality right now. I can't rest. You don't understand my life. See, do we believe that God was serious when he says, okay, Sabbath is important. That's why I'm going to put that as the fourth commandment so that you truly understand how important I am in your life. Are you experiencing the now nature of his rest? This week, um, my son Kai he was helping with the announcements. Um, he just had this really rough practice um, this week, and I picked him up, and, and he was telling me about it, and he was telling me about all the different things that happened. And he was just discouraged. He, he, he's a sensitive kid, and so he came into the car, and he just looked like he, I, I, was, I could just tell that something wasn't right with him. I so said, what's up, buddy? And it's just like he just almost, he's just holding back the tears. He's just trying to hold it together. He's holding back the tears. And then as we start driving and we start talking, he says this. He says, Dad, I wish every day was Sunday. I said, why? He said, because I want to know more about the gospel and be around my friends who are family. And what I realized was this, that this is a spiritual safe haven for him on a rough day. This is a place of rest for him. And I could just see him talking to me about this as he's looking out the window. And what you need to know is that God is God on a Sunday morning just as much as he is on a Monday morning Tuesday, Wednesday. And that God wants to offer that rest for you. He invites you into that. So just for us to be able to talk about that, knowing that he meets us in our hardships like that. So there is a now nature to this rest where you can have it in God. And you don't have to live that crazy frenzied life maybe like you're currently living, but there's also a not yet part of this. Because here's the thing, as Christians, we know that there is a future rest that we have with God because of what Jesus has done for us. No longer do we need to fear death, but we have the confidence beyond this life. Right? That This, this life is not all there is. But that there is a future element to the rest that we have in God, So there's a now element that you can rest in what God has done for you, yet you can know that things will be all in order when we die. And so lastly, how do we rest? Look at verse nine. It says, so then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. Look at verse 9. It says, There remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. So he's saying it again. Like, okay, he starts out, he says, There's a Sabbath rest. Still stands. Meets us in verse 9. says, there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. Now, throughout the passage, up to this point, the author has used the term for rest. In particular, he uses the word for rest in the Greek. But now he makes this transition. And it's this new word, sabbatismos. Now, the author is taking the idea of rest and Sabbath and bringing them together. And this is the earliest known use of the word in the Greek literature. Now, why is he doing this? Because he's telling us that every day we must celebrate the fact that God's work is done and therefore ultimately our work is done. It's a promise that you you can hold on to like no other CEO can hold on to is just working. He's got the 700, 800 emails that day. Right? It's just that constant work. As a Christian, you can hold on to the fact that it's ultimately done. And that, and that is what the author is saying. He's like, how do you do it? You have to celebrate the good news that God's work is done and so we can truly rest. No longer must I strive to earn my identity, my value, my position in life. What he's saying is that in Jesus, your life is secure. Your life is secure. Verse 11, he says, let us therefore strive to enter that rest. Like I said earlier, this is the difference between earning and effort. We're not talking about earning, but it's going to take some effort for you and me to celebrate every day. It's going to take some effort for you to walk into your workplace and celebrate that Jesus has finished it all and all of it is done in him. When you've got all those emails on that list, right? That that checklist of things to do. And you could just be driven into the ground with that. But what I've seen happen is when you understand that, you actually work better and more efficiently without the frenziedness, but, but understanding that you, you can, it doesn't control your life. It doesn't control your life. Who does? Jesus. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. Miroslav Wolf, who's a theologian, was visiting a friend who's a pastor in this very poor neighborhood, a dangerous neighborhood. And as he was walking through the streets, he thought to himself, how could, how could these streets be changed because of the gospel? How, how could the gospel practically meet the people in this neighborhood? And as he reflected on it, he said this. He says, imagine that you have no job, no money, which maybe, you know, some of our college students can identify with right now. You're like, okay, I'm still searching. But he says, you live cut off from the rest of society, ruled by poverty and violence. Your skin is the wrong color, and you have no hope that any of this will change. Around you is a society governed by the iron law of achievement. Its gilded goods are flaunted before your eyes on TV screens. And in a thousand ways, society tells you every day that you are worthless because you have no achievement. You are a failure and you know that you will, be, you will continue to be a failure because there is no way to achieve tomorrow what you have not managed to achieve today. Your dignity is shattered and your soul is enveloped in darkness and despair. But the gospel tells you that you are not defined by outside forces. It tells you that you count. Even more that you are loved unconditionally and infinitely, irrespective of anything you have achieved or failed to achieve. What happens when you actually believe that that's true? When you hold tightly on that belief that truly, the good news is enough, and it actually is good news. It radically changes your life forever. It radically changes the way that you act on a daily basis. It helps you to rest in a way that our world can't and won't stop long enough to do. And so just some takeaways as we finish up today. The first one is this. Are you restless? Are you restless? Is that anxious toil that it talks about in Psalm 127 just something that we've adopted into our lives and says, that's what my life is. That's just how it's gonna be. I wanna encourage you to allow God's word to show you that it's possible to live differently. You know, in verses 12 and 13, this is something that we should truly memorize these two verses right here. Here's what it says. It says, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, for all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Why does chapter four end like that? Because God and His Word are like no other book that we could read. You understand that? Like like it's 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 there was a point in my life and I and I had to repent of this where I looked more to a leadership book than to the scriptures. I did. I thought that that was going to have something more practical and valuable to my life. There are some good things in leadership books. There are some good things in a lot of different readings. But at the end of the day, it will never be the Word of God. It will never be the Word of God. It says that this book is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. I've heard it said that you don't just read the Bible that it reads you it reads you and so would you let the word of God read you and where you're at in your life right now and not dismiss it and say oh yeah I've heard that verse before I know that already we don't get past the gospel understand it's not the ABC's of Christianity it is the A to Z we don't get past Jesus dying for us We don't get past it. So are you restless? Would you let the word of God divide those places in here and expose those places where we're not trusting God, truly trusting God? Second question, what are your true rests? I think this quote from Timothy Keller is super helpful. He says, my thoughts do not go to my God. They don't go to the, the one who gave me my life and sustains my life every day, and who has endowed me with every mercy and pleasure I've ever enjoyed, to whom I owe everything, and at least my highest love and allegiance. My mind does not go there at all. It goes to my real rests, my real trusts, which is either my career or my aches and pains. my comforts or what I hope to do with my vacation or the people who like me and what they have to say about me or what they say about me recently you see my real rests do you understand that there can be false rests that just creep into our lives and not the rest of God not trusting in God but trusting in other things other than God idols it's possible And so we have to ask ourselves, what are my true rests? Third, do you believe that you're limited? Do you believe that you're limited? I don't know if it's true. They say that researchers found this gene, the Thatcher gene. It's why some successful people only have to sleep three to four hours a night. It says there's this very small percentage of people with this abnormal abnormality in their gene that that's how they operate. I don't know if that's true or not. And I'm not here to argue about that. But I don't have that gene. (laughs) I don't have that gene. I know that. But there were times in my life where I tried to operate like I did. And it wasn't helpful. I was talking with some pastors recently. He was talking about just the the workload and the hours and hours and hours of work that he put in and just how he was on the verge of burnout. And I could say, man, I, I was actually there. You know, a lot of what it was, it was my pride. It was my pride. And God had to humble me. See, many of us rage against sleep, or we can love sleep too much. But sleep when it's viewed in the way god intends it to be can be the great reminder that we are not god and we are limited we are limited beings and so we must go to god and ask for his help and lastly do you believe jesus ultimately secured your rest see many of us are walking around with this perspective on life here's what it looks like i have to do more just keep working a little longer My work is never done. There's no time to rest. I'm the only one who can fix this. We don't say this, but I'm the one who holds things together. Do you see who's the center at all of those phrases? It's me. It's me. It's all about me. See, some of us have walked around maybe for years with this badge of I never take vacation. I just want to say today that that's not a good thing. Right? Like, take time with your family. Be wise. Know that it's a marathon, not a sprint. And When we're young, in many ways, we can think that it's just that sprint mentality all the time. Because our culture is running at a frenetic pace. And so what do the people of God look like? People who can actually rest. And say, you know what? The world doesn't, I know this is what people think. You think it rests on your shoulders, but it actually doesn't. What I saw in the book of Colossians is that Jesus holds all things together. And so I either believe that or I don't. Jesus holds all things together. It's true. That's good news today. So I just want to say a side note, both overworking and slothfulness are sins. They are. And both are attempts at replacing God and not trusting and honoring Him. And if you struggle with laziness, because maybe that's a thing, you're just like, man, that's just kind of my thing, meditate on Proverbs 6 and let the Word of God speak to you on that. If it's you struggle with overwork, meditate on Psalm 127. And let God speak to you on that. So how does Jesus change this in our lives? It's when our hearts start to believe the truth. The truth that we're not God. But that God worked his way down to you and me. That God accomplished all the work of salvation. So much so that he said it is finished. And that God, through Jesus Christ, said, I'm going to save you, and I'm going to do a miracle in your life. It's when you trust in Jesus, you're going to understand that in here, you don't have to work any longer, but you can rest in Christ. Will you work from that place? Will you first rest in him and what he's done and see all the miracles that he can do around you? Because just simply telling someone that I'm not the God of my life and I don't hold it all together could be the greatest news for somebody that's really struggling right now. Do you believe that today? Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for the rest of God. We thank you that it's true. Like, as the author of Hebrews is pointing us to, we can... Deny the good news. We can reject it and live in disobedience. And so in a culture right now that has no time to rest, may we find rest in Jesus and what he's done for us. And may the truths of the gospel, the, the places where the, there's fractures in our heart and our mind of where we're believing, what we're trusting in, May you fill those gaps, Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.
0: Thank you for listening to this resource from Grace City Church. If you found this helpful, feel free to share it and enjoy more resources at gracecitysd.com. Grace City Church exists to equip people with the gospel for everyday life.